Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Bible study. We have finished the series entitled, Whatever Happens, from the book of Philippians. And would you believe that we ended up with 28 episodes? So if you ever want to study the four chapters of Philippians in depth, then go back and take a listen to them. I hope that you'll also recommend this podcast to others and make it a regular part of your Bible consumption. Many years ago, when I was in college, a couple of friends and I were invited to spend the weekend at Billy Graham's Mountain Home in Montreat, North Carolina, with his wife, Ruth, while Billy was away. Ruth was a wonderful Bible teacher, and she said many things that I've never forgotten. One of them had to do with Psalm 1. She told us, memorize Psalm number 1, because it is the gateway to all of the other psalms. Well, I did memorize it, and even now, a half century later, I quote it silently to myself almost every morning when I wake up. I'll wake up and have a cup of coffee and read a couple of pages in the newspapers, and then I'll lay back in my recliner, close my eyes, and repeat Psalm 1 to myself before getting into the day and starting it. It's fair to say that all of the other 149 psalms are an extended explanation of the first one. It's almost like you have the whole book of psalms in a nutshell when you read these very short and and pithy verses that I'd like to share with you today. So if you have a Bible, or you can get one easily, then turn with me to the very first psalm. And as you may know, psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. This is the first of 150, and here is what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." The opening word is blessed. In the Hebrew, it is esher. This word occurs 44 times in the Old Testament, and it is always used of human beings. I want to show you one of the times this word is used because it will give us a very good idea of the meaning. In 2 Chronicles chapter 9, the Queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon. Now, Sheba was the ancient name for a country, or for, actually, it's the country that today we call Yemen. 
which is at the southernmost point of the Arabian Peninsula. It's interesting to get a map and look at Yemen and think that this is where the Queen of Sheba came from. It borders Saudi Arabia on the south of that larger nation. In biblical times, there was a lot of commerce taking place on the high seas in those days, and the queen had heard reports of this golden and blessed kingdom to the far north that seemed to be mystical and almost magical like Camelot, we would say today. So she undertook a long trip to see for herself and no doubt to strengthen her international alliances. So this is what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, beginning with verse 5, after she had been there and been absolutely astounded by everything that she had seen in the glistening city of Jerusalem. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report that I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne as king to rule for the Lord your God because of the love of your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever. He has made you the king of them to maintain justice and righteousness. Now, notice those phrases, how happy your people must be, how happy your officials must be. The word happy there is the same word, Esher, which is translated blessed in Psalm 1. This is just an excellent cross-reference. The idea is, when we find ourselves under the sovereignty of a good and wise and wealthy king, we are very fortunate. We are in a good place in life. This is where we want to be. This is what it means to be blessed. It's what the word Esher or blessed means the fortunate, enviable, happy condition of those who are living under a good and gracious and great king. What a blessing that is. Well, that's just the first word of this psalm, so let's go on. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, Blessed people are blessed in part because they do not let the world around them determine their lives. I remember preaching from this text once at a retreat, and a young lady came up to me afterwards. She was very troubled, and she said, If I have to give up my non-Christian friends, how will they ever come to the Lord? Well, this verse is not telling us to live in isolation from ungodly people. We can't even do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, have the Apostle Paul explaining something to the Corinthians. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Instead, he said, I was telling you that you should not associate with people who claim to be Christians, but who are living in that immoral way. 
So the psalmist here isn't telling us to cut off all of our friendships or associations with those who may not know the Lord. The key is in the verbs. We are not to walk in their ways or to stand in their place or to sit in their seats. In other words, although we are surrounded by ungodly people, we are not to allow our lives to fall into their patterns. We're not to be like them. We're not to follow them in any of their self-destructive or unholy behavior. We are to be distinct. And it goes on to say, blessed is the one who, rather than doing those things, finds his or her delight in the law of the Lord. That's verse 2. When I was in Israel, I purchased a new English translation of the Psalms done by a Jewish rabbi, and I was a little stunned when I read this in his book. He said, but whose delight is in the Torah, and in the Torah he meditates day and night. Well, that is essentially what David was saying. The Torah is the collection of the first five books of the Bible, which essentially represented David's Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, especially Deuteronomy. Now, I believe that David was a brilliant young man who was literate. He could read and write, and who, thanks to his parents and to his mentor, Samuel, had his very own copy of the Torah. And I believe there is one passage that he took very seriously. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Beginning with verse 14, this is the instruction that Moses was giving. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you, you must not go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of gold or silver. But look at verse 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law, the Torah, the law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom of Israel. So there's no doubt that under Samuel's tutelage, and according to this passage, David copied down every word of the Torah. He started, I think, with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and went all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, making his own copy of the Bible that he had in his time. He made it by hand, and presumably read it every day of his life. Now, of course, we have the completed Bible, all 66 books. But David here didn't tell us to write it out, although that's a very good thing to do. He didn't tell us to read it, although that's a very thing, good thing to do. He, he told us to delight in it. 
he said, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And that's even, well, that goes beyond writing it and reading it and studying it. To delight in something is to find a lot of pleasure in that thing. When we delight in something or in someone, we just relish this. It makes us cheerful and peaceful and glad to delight in something is to find a lot of pleasure in doing that thing or enjoying that relationship. So here is the burning question from this verse. Do you find a lot of pleasure when it comes to reading and studying and pouring yourself into the Bible? It's not just a question for kings and preachers and missionaries. It's for every single follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of our age or our educational background. This is sort of a a barometer of our spiritual health. Do you relish the Word of God? Cannot wait to get into it again. Do you find pleasure in studying this book? David said, blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. Now, let's look at that word meditate. I'm going to show you two other times in the Old Testament where this same, very same Hebrew word occurs. Both are in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 4 says, I'll just read you the very first part of the verse, as a lion growls. And then in Isaiah 38 and verse 14, Isaiah said, I moaned like a morning dove. I moaned like a morning dove. Now, those two words, growled and moaned, are the same Hebrew word as is translated meditate in Psalm 1. Do you see the connection? Well, maybe not, but here I think that I can explain it to you. It is talking about something that you do under your breath. It literally means to mutter Scripture under your breath. The Hebrew word means to make a low sound, like a growl or like a moan. And to the Hebrews, meditation was a matter of like whispering to yourself, muttering to yourself, repeating something to yourself over and over in a low tone. In other words, when you meditate, you're not speaking to somebody else. You are using the Word of God to speak to yourself, to mull it over, to mutter it to yourself, to think about it. And how often should we be doing this? Day and night. It says day and night. If you find a passage or a verse that really speaks to you, like, say, Psalm 1, then you should, what, verbalize it, reading it over and over again. You should memorize it, which you can do almost without trying because you keep going over it over and over again. And then you analyze it, like we're doing here with Psalm 1, and you personalize it, and you say, how does this passage change my life? And you emphasize it by thinking about it and sharing it with somebody else. This is what it means to meditate, to verbalize, memorize, analyze, personalize, and emphasize. In my book about God's faithfulness, I related a story that was told to me by my friend Gary Mathena, and it involves his father. Dr. Mathena told me, one of my dad's heroes in the ministry was an African-American preacher named Manuel Scott. After hearing Dr. Scott preach one evening, my dad had the opportunity to have breakfast with him the next day. 
My dad said, Dr. Scott, it is so evident that you are a spiritual man. How does someone become spiritual? How can I learn to preach with the insights and with the depth with which you preach? What does it mean to become spiritual? Dr. Scott thought about it for a moment, and he said, Well, Harold, when you wake up in the morning, spend some time reading and thinking about the Word of God, and then throughout the day, meditate and ruminate on the Word of God all day long. And then before you go to sleep at night, allow the Word of God to bathe your heart and mind. And then Dr. Scott paused and reached up to put his thumbs under his red suspenders. And he said, and if you'll do that, then one of these days, you'll just wake up spiritual. Well, that's very much what the psalmist is saying. Whose delight is in the word of the Lord and in that word, you meditate day and night. Well, he went on to say, the psalmist here, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. I grew up beside the Little Doe River in Carter County, Tennessee. It's little unless it floods and then it's rampaging, but it forms from the waters that roll off Roan Mountain in eastern Tennessee, and it winds its way through the Doe River Gorge, which is one of the most beautiful places in Tennessee, and it ends up in Elizabethton, the little town where I grew up, and there it flows under a historic covered bridge and then disappears into the Watauga River. When I was a boy, I grew up in a house just across the street from this river. In fact, our street was named Riverview Drive. Uh, would very often after school, go down along the river and sometimes swim or splash or wade or fish. When I was in college, my parents moved their family property to Roan Mountain, which is right on the very same river. And beautiful trees line that river all the way from Roan Mountain to Elizabethton. And today in my kitchen in Nashville, I have a small oil painting by a mountain artist of a scene that I know very well. And it's a tree leaning over that little Doe River and soaking up the nourishment of the life-giving waters of this little stream. That's the picture of every person on earth who avoids letting their friends push them into negative patterns in life, but who instead lets the Word of God dominate their thinking. This is a very common biblical metaphor I think Jeremiah must have been thinking about this when he wrote in chapter 17 of his book. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And then one of my favorite passages in Psalm 92, well, it's the very last paragraph of that psalm, says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. I love the double figure that we get from these pictures of a tree 
whose roots are going into the stream, but also with roots hanging onto and clinging and growing around a rock so that this is a well-nourished, well-hydrated, but very stable thing, this tree. And that's a picture for us. It is about those who have this practice of delighting in and meditating on the Word of God every day and whose lives are governed not by the world, but by the Word. And there's a reason why this is so. Remember what I said about the painting by the mountain artist? Our minds are like a canvas. When we're born, there's very little on that canvas, but as we begin learning, one brushstroke after another adds color and content to our thoughts. Without the Bible, the colors are dark and dull and shadowy. But whenever we let the Lord dip his paintbrush into the palette of Scripture and to paint our minds with wisdom, he covers the canvas with the cheerful colors of truth and joy and hope and life. And the more we meditate on Scripture, the brighter our minds and the wiser our hearts and the happier our lives. But now let's go on to the last paragraph of Psalm 1. Verse 4 says, Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. What a contrast. The righteous are like trees, but the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. I've never winnowed grain, and so I looked up some videos about it, and it made perfect sense in the light of this passage. When you harvest wheat, you cut it down and bundle some of the stalks together, and these are called sheaves. The sheaves are stacked up in the field and left out to dry a little bit more, and at the top of every sheaf are the heads of the plants containing the grain or the kernels of grain, the wheat berry. You have to figure out how to remove these kernels from the straw and from all of the sheathing around them. Well, a lot of times in biblical and ancient times, this was done by putting the wheat on the ground and having a donkey pull a threshing board over it. Or you might beat it with your feet or beat it against the wall of a building or against a floor. And that breaks loose the wheat berries from the little sheaths around it. But then how do you separate the berries or the little kernels from the chaff or all of the debris that remains? It would take hours to do this by hand. But instead, you find a windy day, and you toss the mixture into the sky, and the wheat is heavy enough to fall back to the ground, but the wind carries the chaff away like dust or debris. That's a picture of the wicked. Back in the 1970s, a musical group came out with a song that was very popular, but it was so fatalistic and despairing that I would turn off the radio whenever it came on. But the song reflects this. It says, all we are is dust in the wind. Well, that's something of the picture the psalmist is painting here for those who do not have the life of Jesus Christ in them or the truth of Scripture filling their minds. He says in verses 4 and 5, not so the wicked. They're not like trees. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the the righteous. Now, when I was studying this, in the back of my mind, there was another passage of Scripture that sort of nagged at me, and I found it. I looked it up, 
Queen John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and it has reference back to Psalm 1. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a picture of the judgment, the ultimate judgment at the end of the age. And this was the destination, the destiny of those who walk in the way of the world, but do not walk in the way of the word. But notice the final verse that closes out Psalm 1. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Those who walk in step with the wicked and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the company of mockers will wind up in judgment and with destruction. But the Lord watches over the way, the life, the path, the destination of those who avoid the things they should avoid and think about the things they should think about and learn to love the Lord by meditating on God's Word day and night. Dr. Walt Larimore was a doctor who talked about seeing a woman once who was battling depression. Dr. Larimore often treated teenagers and their parents, and this lady's name was Debbie. She was in her mid-30s. He said that she had all of the classic symptoms of low-level depression, including that lack of energy and stamina that we feel when we get into a low state of mind. And also depression was in her family history. Her mother and her grandmother battled depression. And so Dr. Larimore talked with her, examined her, and over time together he devised a plan. And he took out his prescription pad and wrote out a prescription for a mild antidepressant. And then he turned the page and wrote another prescription. And he tore them off and gave them to her and told her to come back in two weeks. Well, Debbie was back in two weeks, and she was like a different woman. She was energetic and upbeat, and when he went through the screening questions for depression, her results were much better. And she said to him, the prescription that you gave me really worked. He said, well, that antidepressant usually takes three or four days before it kicks in, but sometimes it can take three or four weeks. I'm glad it's working for you. But she said, that's not really the prescription that I was talking about. The one that had the biggest impact on me was the second prescription. Well, the words on that prescription, this is what it was. I mean, Dr. Larimore had written out on his prescription pad this well, these words. He said, read your Bible every day and memorize Psalm 1. And she had taken that prescription and applied it every day. Read your Bible every day and memorize Psalm 1. And it had made the difference in her life. Well, I would like to offer the same prescription for you today. It's really that simple. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Well, thank you so much for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Our audio engineer and editor is Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline to them, and posts them as blogs on my website, robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in. And may God be with you until we meet again.